last week. If you reject even one of these truths, then you will eventually reject them all. If you believe that you can be saved by anything other than grace, then you will, by the end of it, abandon the rest. And so we come to the third week, the Latin phrase, solus Christus, that we are saved or we believe in Christ alone. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 is our one verse that we're going to focus on. And while you're turning there, you may ask, well, what are we even talking about? Because, you know, next week when we talk about Scripture alone, okay, I can get how that's different. But we literally have been talking about salvation for three weeks now. And we talked about grace from the aspect of grace. And then last week we talked about from the aspect of faith. And now we're going to talk about Jesus. Well, we've been talking about Jesus the whole time. And so what's the point? Here's the main point. You and I have the ability to stand before God only because of the righteousness of Christ. That's the point. We have to understand that, yes, we can be saved by grace through faith, but our ability to stand before God Almighty is only because of the work of Jesus. It is only because of His righteousness alone. So if you found it, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, just one verse, one of my favorite verses, because it speaks to the essence of what we got when Christ was crucified. If you'll stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. We have to understand that it was Christ alone who paid the price. Who, when he died, theologians call it the great exchange. Things were exchanged. And what was exchanged is that in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and not to only those three things that we talk about, but also his life, is life matters. Because if Jesus' life does not matter, if Jesus did not live a perfect life, then he is not fit to be the sacrifice. If Jesus did not live a perfect life, then you and I do not get righteousness. But the fact is, and what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at two Doctrines, two covenants that God has made. And we're going to see how good it is to rest in and to stay in the second covenant, the covenant of grace. But what happened is when Jesus was born, we're going to walk through all of this. But first we have to set up what went wrong. So guess where we're going? Where it went wrong. Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. I want to read. You don't have to turn to it, but we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. And then we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. But we have to understand that in Genesis chapter 3, what has happened is that all of perfection, all of creation was perfect. All of creation was perfect at the end of chapter 2. 
We don't know how long that had happened or was to stay that way. But what we do know is that in Genesis chapter 3, everything changed. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve not only became rule makers, they decided that they wanted to be rule breakers. They decided they wanted to be rule makers. Not only did they break what God had told them to do, they wanted to do it for themselves. They thought they knew better. All of our sin at its heart is a pride that thinks we know better than God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, here's what has happened. Adam and Eve have been given infinite possibilities for obedience. And they've been given one single command that they can disobey. Everything I've given you is for you, God says in Genesis 2. He says the only thing that you cannot do is what? Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only stipulation in everything that God has given them in perfection. Now what happens in this perfection? Well, in this perfection, you have lion and lamb laying down together. There is no death. Everything is perfect. Adam and Eve are perfect. God shows up in the cool of the day to walk with them through the garden. I don't know if anybody else would like to be on that walk, but I'd like to be on that walk. Walking with God through the garden in the cool of the day sounds awesome. This is where we find ourselves. But then the one thing that they're not supposed to do, they do. That's just like us, ain't it? It actually is because he is our head. He, as in Romans 5, is going to take. he is our representative, Adam. Now, we could spend a whole time talking about Genesis 3 and how the serpent twisted the word of God and said, did God really say this? But what he really wants them to do is to understand, hey, you're not going to die when you eat from it. You're going to be like God. There was the kicker. Ooh, I'm going to be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. I Pride has welled up inside, and now I can be like God. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about how everybody wants to blame Eve because she's the one that ate the fruit. Well, nobody wants to talk about her idiot husband that was standing there, okay? Now, it's fine. We can talk about that if you want to. We can talk about how um, Adam in Genesis 2 was the only one made when God gave him the mandate. Eve was not there yet. He was given the mandate as the leader, which he then had to share with his wife. Adam was also given dominion and control over all of creation and stood there like a passive-aggressive idiot and watched his wife play with fire. Sucker punch the devil or something. Don't just stand there. What are you looking at, Adam? You still naming animals over here? What are you doing? And then, honey, what's for supper? This piece of fruit. Oh, okay. And then the perfect relationship was busted, and Adam instantly threw his wife under the bus. Because our fall has not only broken and severed our relationship with God, it broke it with humanity. So now this, this woman that, that is so perfect that when, when literally in the, in the Hebrew, when she shows up, he says, whoa, man. Okay? He, he, that perfect woman that the Lord, like he'd been sitting there watching all of creation do what all of creation was supposed to do. And he says, finally, somebody for me. And then she did it. 
First thing he did was throw her under the bus. But don't worry, she didn't stay there long. She rolled out and said, the serpent did it. Threw the serpent under the bus. You notice Satan didn't, he's like, yeah, I did. He didn't pass blame, he said. Got him. But here's what we need to see. Is that in Genesis, God had made a covenant of works with Adam. If you obey me, then it will go well for you. If you disobey me, you will die. Right? So what did Adam have to do? Just obey him. That was literally all he had to do was just obey him. And it would have gone well for him. There would have been no more death. But instead, Adam's work spoke for themselves and plunged the world into darkness. Now here's the thing. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because right after Genesis, right after the fall, this is what happens. We have to, we need to, to just talk about how immediate it was. Um, the end of verse, end of chapter two, verse twenty-five, it says, "And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." Perfect unison, harmony. They were naked and unashamed. The fall happens, and the first thing right after it says, "And he ate." The next thing out of the uh, of the scripture is, "And then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked, and they were ashamed. They sewed fig leaves." Together and made for themselves loincloth. This is why this matters. Is because since then we have been trying to fix it ourselves. You see they didn't fall on their face before God and cry out to him. They tried to hide it. To take care of what they had broke. And ever since then the rest of the scripture is us trying to work our way back into God's grace. So then they hid from God, and God shows up. God did not need to know where they were, okay? Just like when, when, um, you know, when God asks rhetorical questions like, Cain, where's your brother? God knows. He does not need your response. What he was giving you was an opportunity to repent. Adam, just tell me what happened. That's all he's asking. Where are you at? Now, you see what Adam does. He stands up, and he says... We heard you in the garden, and we were afraid because we are naked. So I hid myself. And Lord, who told you you were naked? Just, just offering up chances to repent. Just come clean, man. And then he said, the woman that you gave me. <laughs> she tricked me, man. She gave me some fruit. I didn't know. I was out working hard, and then I came home, and there was this. And then God starts to judge. He says to the serpent, because of this, this happens. You'll crawl on your belly. We don't need to talk about how fact that apparently snakes weren't on their belly before and how creepy that is. Okay? Just saying, if they weren't crawling on their belly yet, has anybody thought about that nightmare? Okay. Apparently I was the only one. It really bothers me. Okay? Also, I don't know, does that mean that snakes won't be in heaven? See, these are the things that rattle around my brain. It says all good things will be redeemed. There's nothing good there, right? Satan messed that up completely. But if they are, I hope they're still on their belly because I don't want to see them walking. I, that's, I don't think I can handle that. I don't need that in my life. But he's going to go, whatever, whatever. But then here's the point. In Genesis 3.15, we need to understand that even after 
we have messed up the covenant of works. Genesis 3.15 comes and it says, I will put enmity or or strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's still talking to the snake. And then here it comes. The seed of the woman is going to bruise the head. Yeah, you're going to bruise its head, but he is going to crush the head of the snake. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the snake. This is what's called in Latin the Proto-Evangelicum. Proto meaning what? First, right? Like a prototype. First mention of the gospel. God said, I am sending help. We know that that's Jesus. So don't tell me Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. Because we could go. We could show you. We don't have that time. And then, of course, a bunch of things happen. To the, women, to the woman, he said, guess what? It's going to hurt a lot more having babies. And we don't, need to over, we don't need to look past this, is that her desire is going to be for her husband's position, the position of leadership. We don't need to look past that because we see that all the time. Our relationships are broken. Because man was passive, women try to supersede his God-given leadership, and that's not the same thing. We've, if you've been here at all this year, then you have heard time and time again that it is a sacrificial leadership that looks like Jesus, not a domineering leadership that tries to crush the people under him. And then he says, Adam, the, the earth's not going to give you what you've been working for. And here's the thing, is that in there are two trees mentioned in Genesis. There's a bunch of trees, but there's only two of them that have names. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we now know very much about. And what was the other one? The tree of life. I don't need you to miss this. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22 to the end, it says, And the Lord God said, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the Trinity. That apparently is not in the Bible, according to some people, but here it is. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing the difference between good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So what's the point? He said, man knows the difference between good and evil. They have been plunged into darkness. Now, if, if Adam and Eve were to take from the tree of life, which basically offers what? Immortality. Right? It offers life. If they were to take that, then they would forever plunge themselves into darkness never to be reconciled to god because of that and because god knows what he is doing and is rich in mercy verse 23 tells us that therefore god sent them away from the perfect garden that he made for them he drove them out he drove out man and at the east of the garden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way that guarded the way to the tree of life that even in his judgment, God was merciful because he banished them from perfection to save them from the tree of life. Because there is coming a Savior. See, I didn't know all that, did you? Genesis is so good. All right. Now we've got to go to Romans. That's the first covenant, the covenant of works. It's really simple. If we do A, then B happens. If we don't do A, then B doesn't happen. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Where's Romans? Just kidding, it's after Acts. And so, this is the covenant that we try to live in. 
This is the covenant that keeps us going to church. This is the covenant that makes us think that we can earn our way into heaven. We would never say that because we're good southern Christians. Right? Not southern Baptists. I'm talking southern Christians. We were born in the south. And so everybody's saved, even if they don't act like it. Everybody's got a church home, even if they don't remember where to get there. Everybody is going to heaven. But nobody wants to die. Sorry, that's another song. The point being... You ain't never heard that song? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die? All right. See, and then you know what came in my brain right after that? Heaven's just a sin away. And so anyways... Sorry. (laughs) We so much want the covenant of works to be the final answer. Because why? We can control our way. If you don't get into heaven, it's your fault. The problem with that is the Bible does not teach that. So the alternate to what God set up next was the covenant of grace. Which means what? You got into heaven in spite of you. That's what we're talking about. You and I are not worthy of heaven. Amen? We believe that. We know that to be true. You can dress up a corpse all you want to, and it's still a corpse. We understand better than most the depravity that exists inside of us. We don't have to look out to the world. Of course we can see it in the world, but you need to look no further than your own heart to know that there is sin. So how can sinful man come to the presence of God where there is no sin? This is the question. And this is the answer. Romans 5 tells us, therefore, we're not going to go back and look what is therefore, but basically what he has said is, everything's awful, you are terrible, the gospel saves people, Adam, or Abraham got faith, uh, was justified because of his faith. That's what we've gotten so far. None is righteous, no, not one, everybody's doomed, enter Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into the grace. So how did we come in? Through faith. If you were here last week, you should have got that one, right? And we have obtained access to, through, or gained access by faith to the grace, which is unmerited favor, in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, were you good? There's None is righteous, no, not one. While we were still weak, Christ died. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person might would dare even to die. Verse five or chapter five, verse eight. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, and much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is the truth that we are saved while we were sinners. Christ died for you. 
You were not good enough. You cannot be good enough. Nothing you can do can earn salvation. It is only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, which is shown to us through the scripture for the glory of God, that you can know this. Verse 10 says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by what? The death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? This is where his life comes into effect. Is that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, when it tells us that he made him to be sin who knew no sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is why it matters, because when Jesus lived his perfect life, when he died, it was credited to you. The only way to get to God is to live a perfect life. The problem is, is that none of us live perfectly. Jesus did and gave it to you. So who got the short end of that stick? We get the righteousness of God and are accredited to our account that we may spend eternity with him. Jesus got to become sin. Not only did he get to become sin, the every drop of the wrath of God was poured out on him. Every bit of punishment. And we know the scripture teaches us that if the only thing that you ever did wrong in your entire life was tell the simplest of sin, let's just call it a white lie, and that's the only thing you ever did wrong, that God is so perfect and so holy that that one little white lie condemns you to an eternity in hell. Well, that doesn't seem fair. You're right. It's not fair that Jesus had to die for you. The problem with our salvation is that we try to make it about us. God did not save you for you. He saved you for him. Just like everything else. If God, if the scripture tells us in Colossians and in John and in Hebrews 1 that everything was created through Jesus for God. If all of creation was created for God, what makes you think your salvation is for you? Everything else is for him. Why would that one thing be yours? Well, because we're narcissistic, selfish, terrible people from which we need salvation. I don't even know what we're talking about. But more than that, Jesus. We rejoice in God. This is chapter 5, verse 11. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Therefore, this is where he's going to unpack for us that just as sin came into the world through one man. Who is that one man? Adam. And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. What does it tell us? That because Adam, sin entered the world through Adam's sin. Through his mistake, sin entered the world and it spread to all men because we all sin of our own volition. We don't have to be tricked, coerced. You don't have to train children to be bad. You have to train them to be good. Right? Y'all know this. If you have children, if you've seen children, if you've been around children, they're the worst. Amen? Y'all want to silent amens because some of y'all's children are sitting with you. Right? I saw a couple side eyes. We know they're the worst. It's okay. They know they're the worst. They know it. Because why? Because we're sinners. My son is a miserable wretch. 
I love him. But he is a miserable wretch. Both of them. The other one just is really stationary right now, so it's hard to see his wretchedness. But it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Do you know how I know that? Well, one, the Bible tells me, and two, I just see it. Right? I, I watch the manipulation. And it's funny because he thinks he's smarter than me, but he's not. He doesn't even know that sound travels, okay? Because I'm not physically present in his act. I still hear you, son. I know what you're doing. I hear it. Yes, I hear the pumpkin opening with the candy, with the candy corn pumpkins inside. I hear you. I know what you're doing in there. Because we're all sinful. And sin entered the world and spread. And we all sin. For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Right? Adam didn't murder anybody. But sin still is sin when Cain killed his brother. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many th- died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Here's what it means. We're just going to keep working through, but we have to understand that sin entered the world through Adam. Why did Jesus have to be a man? So that he could stand in our place. Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Do you ever wonder that? Everybody think, well, that's just a weird thing. Why did that have to happen? It absolutely have to ha- had to happen. Because sin entered the world through who? Adam is a... So if Jesus was born of a man, he would have been born sinful. And so he was born of a what? Of a woman who had never been with a man. And so even the virgin birth matters because Jesus was not born of men. He was born of God. So he did not enter the world through. He was not past the depraved nature that we all were. That's why it matters that he was born of a virgin. Because see, the man comes or the sin comes through the seed of man. And then he lived perfectly his entire life, which was then given to you as a gift. So that you now stand in the righteousness of Christ. You should not want to believe anything else because if you try to believe anything else, then you're not going to heaven. We get eternal life with God because of Jesus' work on the cross. And nothing else. So you better hope that what we're telling you is true. And believe. Because if it's not. Then we're all doomed. And the free gift. 16 is not like the result of one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ.
Jesus' life, who he was. Who is Jesus? Who's Jesus? He's the Son of God. I didn't think I was going to have to work you all the way to the end of the sentence, but I thought that was going to be pretty. Okay, we'll try that again. Jesus is the Son of God. It is not how Jesus died that matters. It is who died that matters. Jesus' perfect life made him able to be the sacrifice that you and I needed. Because the only other way to get to heaven... You're like, hold up now. The only other way to get to heaven is to find a perfect person and convince him to die for you. What's the problem with that plan? There are no perfect people. Save one. This is of the utmost importance that you understand that you and I have the ability to stand before God because when God looks at you and I, if we are believers, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And that is good because if He saw, how many of us want to stand before God apart from the righteousness of Jesus and let Him see everything that you are? Because God knows you better than you do. God knew you before time began. He knows how many hairs are on the top of your head. Do you know how many hairs are on the top of your head? I mean, I do. Zero. (laughs) But we'll twist it. He knows how many hairs are in my beard. Which is where my hair migrated to. He knows how long you're going to be here. Because he has ordained it from eternity past. He knows what you did. Just fill in the blank, whatever it was. He knows what you will do. He is working all things together for his glory. And so my question to you is simple. When you stand before God, are you going to stand in your works or in his? I promise you, the right answer is you want to stand before God in the work of Jesus. If you ever want to spend eternity with God, it cannot be in any other way. How do I know that? Because Jesus said it. John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then we stop. Well, what's the rest of the verse say? No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are bold claims, Jesus. Let's go to John. John chapter 3. We have to get this and understand, and this is where we're going to end. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes by night. This is a a tremendous story. But we all know one of the verses, right? Everybody knows one of the verses, John 3, 16. So let's read. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish, but instead have eternal life. But we stop there. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. But we don't stop there. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not is what? Well, wait a second. That doesn't sound like that should fit. If you believe in him, then we, we're not condemned. Amen. But if we don't believe in him, we are already condemned. We stand under condemnation. Because as David, I lied. We're going to Psalm 51. I'm sorry. Right in a pulpit. I sure did. See, I wasn't going to go. I didn't even think about this till right now. Psalm 51. Let me set up Psalm 51. And then we're going back to John 3. Psalm 51 is written after David um, was super not great. Okay? So David, um, in other parts of the scripture, is called a man after what? A God, man after God's own heart. Okay? Now David writes a whole lot about the future Messiah because he knows it ain't him. Okay? Because David knows what's up. So David is out on his roof. Nothing wrong so far. He sees somebody bathing naked on her roof. Okay? Questions, but no, no so good. But then it says he lingered there. Okay, now we've messed up. Now we've sinned. But he sees Bathsheba, which is just off, you know, just, she's taking a bath. And so Bathsheba's taking a bath. It's fine. And so Bathsheba, he goes and gets her, and he commits adultery with, on his wives and makes her with um, on her husband. And then we see the story unfold what happens. He sends Uriah out, tries to get Uriah back, get him drunk so he'll sleep with his wife so that they can think the baby's is his. He won't do it because he's honorable, so David sends him to die. Right? And then takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Well, Nathan the prophet comes up and tells David this story. And, of course, at the end of the story, David is just appalled at this story until um, you ever heard said to pray, you the man? And we, we mean it in a good thing. Yeah, Nathan didn't mean it as a good thing. He said, you're that man. And, of course, devastates David. And David finally clicks everything that he's done. And then he writes Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is what repentance looks like. This is not sorry he got caught. This is sorry that he sinned against the God of the universe. That's the difference. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Well, we know that's not true because he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and a bunch of different people. But instead, what he's saying is that the weight of our sin is between us and God. Against you and you only have I sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What does that mean? That means we are sinful from birth. And so when John 3 says we are condemned already. It is a belief that is held by Christians. You were born sinful. And in need of a savior. And then at the end of verse of end of chapter thirty or end of chapter three, verse thirty six, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And we can amen that all day long. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains. This is why this matters. 
Because before Jesus, you weren't just not okay. You just didn't need an attitude adjustment. Life just wasn't whatever. Before you were saved by Jesus, you were under the wrath of God. This is why this matters. This is why we can proclaim right out of Romans 5... He sets up Romans 6, verse 1, which says, So should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? No, you don't get it if that's what you're about. And then he goes on this tirade about being dead to sin but alive to God. In chapter 7, he speaks to our hearts directly when he says, I don't do what I do want to do. Instead, I do the things I don't want to do. Anybody living there? I'm doing the stuff I don't want to do, and I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. But then, like a breath of fresh air, Romans 8, 1 comes in and says, Do not forget, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why you want to be in Christ Jesus. This is why it matters that we are saved by Christ alone. Because if we belong to Jesus, we are no longer under condemnation. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be under condemnation from an almighty, holy God. That does not sound like the way I'd rather spend my eternity. But instead, we can rejoice when Paul says, For our sake, 2 Corinthians, this is where we close, For our sake. For whose sake? Our sake. For you and for me. It wasn't, it was for our sake. He made Christ to be sin. He didn't just take on the sin. He became sin. Who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might not only gain the righteousness of God. We might actually become the righteousness of God. So that Jesus became sin. We became righteous. The great exchange happened. He took our sin and the wrath of God and gave us his life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Do you see, I hope that you have seen over the last three weeks, and we're going to continue to work through, but I hope you have seen why it was of the utmost importance that the church return to the truth of the Bible. Because apart from grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are without hope. It is our prayer that if you do not know this today, if you think that all this is foreign or you are lost because you have not been found by Christ, that you will come today, repent and believe. Because this is only available to those who have been rescued by the Lamb. This is only available to those whom Christ died for. And so... At the end of his sermon, Peter was asked, How, what do we do? It's real simple. Repent of your sins and believe. What's belief? Belief is not only just to mentally ascend to that place, but to trust that what God said is true. And what do you do when you trust? That's where you put your faith. It's where you put your hope. Where you put your tr- All of you, of, you, of you right now are trusting that chair that you're sitting in. That it's not just going to go and dump you out into the sanctuary floor. Right? Did anybody check their chair before you sat down? Make sure the nuts and the bolts were intact. Make, you know, wobble it a little bit. See if it was, you know, that, that little, but it was lean, but it was just enough lean. It wasn't like too much lean. 
You trusted that that chair was going to hold you. Now, has anybody ever been burned by that trust before? Of course you have. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about faith in Jesus, which has never and will never fail. And so today, this is what it means. Is that if you're not saved, repent and believe. If you are saved, you need to be reminded of the fact that your salvation and by consequence your life does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. As, as, as Elder D.J. Ward said, if we don't believe this to be true, then we need to stop singing one of my favorite songs. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but what did he do? He washed it white as snow. And it, it just, every time I watch that video, I get all teary-eyed and clipped because it reminds me how we functionally live our lives like Jesus didn't pay it all. We live our lives functionally like we got something to do instead of resting in the fact that Jesus has already done it. And that the only thing that we do is obey. Not for acceptance, we obey out of acceptance. To a place of wanting God to love us, we come from a place of God loving us in spite of our sin, giving us righteousness through Jesus. It changes the whole mindset in which we live this life when we rest in the gospel. That's why we're preaching that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Because no other work is good enough. So after we sing Jesus, we're not singing Jesus paid it all. That would have been perfect. But we're singing, uh, you know what, we're singing Jesus paid it all. Put it up there. And so I do that because I can. Jesus paid it all. And what's the next line? All. Not some of it. All. Jesus paid it all. The altar's open so that you can walk in the trust and acceptance that and the rest in what Jesus has done for you because I promise you it is better than you could do for you. Amen?